like scary movies? Uh-huh. I'm getting ready to watch a video. You're making popcorn? Uh-huh. What's, what's, what's your favorite? Uh, I don't know. You have to have a favorite. Talk to me. Talk, talk to me. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the best little horror house in Philly, the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guest, at least. And today's guest, you might know her from CBB World's College Town. Please welcome Aaron Whitehead. Hello. <laughs> Oh my god, they're going wild. I can't. <laughs> this is too embarrassing. Oh my god, you guys, stop, stop. I'm very excited to have you on the show today, Aaron. And I'm especially excited to talk about today's pick because it's not necessarily a traditional pick from the genre. No? No, I know. Hard to believe, I know. But I am curious to hear about your history with horror, if it's something that you're generally into or kind of not, not really a fan of too much. So my suspension of disbelief is incredibly high. <laughs> so horror movies are as if it's happening to me. And mm-hmm. I, f- I find it very hard to watch them. For that reason, like if I'm with people, I love it, but it's, it really wrecks my body. Like, mm-hmm. my, it, like it hurts my heart. I, I, I watched, one of the movie, I, this is one of the movies I actually said to you, like maybe we could do this one. The very first one I ever saw was Freddy Krueger. And I was 13 and would get in my mom's bed for a year <laughs> to sleep with her. Because I would like be lying in my bed going, Oh God, I can't go to sleep because he'll get me. And then I was like, Oh God, what if I'm asleep? Oh no! To get me, and it's like the war- like I, there was like no way out of that horrible. Right, so, you're in yeah. the loop. Yeah, I even had another pitch for you, but I was like, No, but then I'll have to watch it again. <laughs> well, I I don't think that today's movie is uh, is too big of a stretch. So so I'm definitely into it and. I also will say, as far as Freddy Krueger goes, uh, that my dad grew up on Elm Street, and so he refused to see it oh, for the longest time. <laughs> yeah, and he's and he's correct. It could have been <laughs> his whole life. <laughs> That's exactly right. When you're watching a horror movie, is there a subgenre that helps you sort of get into it, where it's like, these are more often a success rate if there's witches in it, or I like vampires? Oh, okay. Well, interesting. I don't even know if I consider vampires horror. I think... I like the Scream movies because there's something that's so campy and like genre-y about them. Mm -hmm. And Silence of the Lambs was also one of the first movies that I ever watched. And because I was like, well, I am a Jodie Foster. So (laughs) Hopkins would never, ever eat me, eat my face off my face. (laughs) Uh, Like I was able to like rationalize it that way. But things like, like The Ring still cry if I think about it. Like, if I think about her coming out of the TV, I fear cry in mm-hmm. my car driving. <laughs> I watch, like, The Orphanage is one of the scariest ones to that's me. Freaky. And, like, that's, and that's <laughs> another one where it's, like, yeah, this, the, yeah, the idea of a ghost who wants revenge and who can, like, do things physically. Mm-hmm. The ghost ones really fucking scare me. Yeah. yeah. Really, really, really. I think I prefer campy for fun. Like, I loved Final Girls. It was fun. That was fun. That was Doesn't a very fun feel, one. I feel like it couldn't happen to me. Yeah. And yeah. so once they have to really establish that, like, this is so far beyond the realm of possibility that uh, the, the camp aspect of it does push it over that. And that's what you're Yeah. Right Except that in my mind, the ring could happen to me. Right. So, like, it doesn't take much. <laughs> right. Hey, you know, it's funny, too, because um, the ring, I, I remember, like, everyone talking about it on the, the playground and everything during school. And, and, and when I started doing the show, somebody picked it for the show. And I was like... There's no way it could possibly be as scary as you build it up to be in your mind when you hear about it. And it's like a very scary concept. And then I watched it and I was like, wow, this movie is genuinely very frightening and still very good. (laughs) Oh, my God. It's so frightening. I also am like, I think there's something, too, about when the bad person has a past that is painful. So you weirdly feel like. Oh God, I feel empathy for them. But then that's like the, that's like the thing. Like if you feel empathy for her, then she fucking kills that's you. Right. So it's like you're like, oh my! It, it's anytime you like add the emotion. Yeah. Like it's I. I mean, Freddie had a background, but it was honestly too horrifying to even get into. Like I don't. <laughs> I think he definitely like, had so. Some, definitely so. His mom like was a nun. Right? Yeah. Right. And or, uh, like twenty nuns. Yeah, yeah. She like worked at a at a, a institution for the criminal yes. insane or something. I believe. And was like raped raped yeah. by like every like I psycho killer so, in yes. there. And then he's the product of all of them. I said I said let's not talk about it. And then I talked <laughs> in detail about it. These things really stay in my mind. Oh wait, can I say one more thing? Sure. American Horror Story, the TV show. There's one scene in that fucking show that I wish I could unsee and I can never unsee it and it's when the girl is like crawling through the crawl space and she doesn't know she's mm. dead 
and she finds her own decaying body. Wow. That's how I feel like my life is. Like, wow. I feel like every morning I wake up and I'm like, oh, right, I'm this age and this is my <laughs> fucking life. Oh, my God. It's like that show destroyed me. Yeah, I actually didn't get too far into that show because one of my, like, big things that I have a tough time watching is, like, self-harm stuff. And, like, oh, right in the yeah. first episode, the guy, like, cuts his wrist. And I was like, I think I had enough of this, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Self-harm or torture. Like, like mm-hmm. Reservoir Dogs, when he cuts his ear off, I turned it off, cried, and then, like, had to finish it the next day. Like, it was... <laughs> To, it made me want to throw up. We're off to the races. <laughs> That's exactly right. And the movie we're talking about today is less violent, but no less horrific. <laughs> it's You've Got Mail, directed and co-written by Nora Ephron, along with her sister Delia, both making their debut on the podcast, if you can believe it. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> so Nora's uh, parents were both screenwriters as well, and she moved to New York with goals of becoming the next Dorothy Parker, queen of the Bon Mott. After meeting her at a party, and then she said, then I actually read her work and found it to be corny, maudlin, and quote, so embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, I mean, I could think you could say the same about You've Got Mail, so well done, Nora Ephron, you really, you fit those shoes. (laughs) That's exactly right, and the the myth lasted long enough, which it does actually play into the movie a bit, and... She said that she views close reading as the foundation of romance, not just looking at what people say, but how they say it. And this is a quote from her. She said, we can fall in and out of love with people based solely on the words that they speak and write. Words are important. Choose them carefully. And certainly don't cling to a myth just because it's lovely. It's only in pushing past lazy cliches that a love affair moves from theoretical to tangible, from something a girl believes to something a woman knows how to work with. Interesting. Yeah. (laughs) You really did do your research. That's right. Yeah, I was honestly kind of disappointed in Nora Ephron when I like, because this is one of those movies that to me felt like someone was like, you know, you could make a lot of money if you put those sleepless in Seattle kids (laughs) in another film. And she was like, sure, give me a week. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, let me crank something out here. (laughs) Yeah. It is funny. That that shift into movies was very much like a pragmatic move because... She was uh, newly single after her uh, thinly fictionalized account of her relationship falling apart called Heartburn. Amazing book. uh, Became a bestseller, right? Very, very good. And the movie, I also do think it's pretty good. I love the movie, yeah. Yeah, uh, directed by Mike Nichols, starring Meryl Streep, with Efron writing the screenplay for that. Obviously, that's about her life. So she is single. She's living with her two young children in her editor's apartment. She can't really travel anymore doing investigative articles like she had been doing. And so she said, well, I started paying or I started writing scripts just to pay the bills. We should all be so lucky. To be like, <laughs> Ugh, I had to be a screenwriter. As a backup. <laughs> Poor Nora. <laughs> I know, right? She's weeping into her champagne over there. <laughs> yeah. One huge influence on this feeling for her, though, is uh, that at summer camp in Arizona, she'd read her mother's letters to her bunkmates and said, my friends first at camp, then in college, would laugh and listen, utterly wrapped at the sophistication of it all. And in answering those letters, that was what allowed her to gain confidence in her writing. And she said that she found her mother opaque in actual interaction, was a rollicking delight in her correspondence, and gave of herself there in ways that she seemed not to be able to in real life. And I find that to be pretty interesting to have that kind of uh, challenging relationship with your mother and then sort of project it onto the relationship that's happening here. Yes, to- that's so interesting. Yeah, because the Ons Page relationship was so different. Right. Like in in like I'm sure we'll get into it, but like I feel like in two different levels, like Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But this did combine the writing style she enjoyed and allowed self-reflection on her cynicism about love. Uh, she, This is another quote. She felt movies were for the masses and I could puncture dumb Hollywood myths about relationships while establishing new ones. <laughs> well, not with this movie again, Nora, but uh, wow, that's like a, that's a very, uh, I don't think she'd be a fun dinner party guest is my, is my takeaway here. I love Nora Ephron, but what a snot. <laughs> you know, it's so funny that you say that because I did listen to the commentary, which was Nora Ephron and Lauren Schuler Donner, who was producer on this. And take this how you will. It truly felt like listening to two of my grandmother's friends talk for an hour and a half. <laughs> this New Yorky, uh, Upper West Side kind of lady. And, and she feels like... I feel like maybe she has the blinders on, like the net literally never experienced certain parts of life mm-hmm. blinders a yeah. little bit. Like even the fact that like this woman is an independent bookstore owner in New York City and like, okay, we can say maybe she inherited that fucking brownstone, but a right. break. Like, yeah. 
No, for sure, for sure. How much? It's a banana, Michael. How much could it cost? Ten dollars. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So in 1994, Donner's development had watched the shop around the corner itself an adaptation of the Hungarian play Parfumery, and she was like, wow, I love this. And so they started to explore the idea of not just a remake, but a modernization. And one thing that struck Donner as an avenue to explore was her self-described fascination with cyberspace becoming a, quote, third place, and specifically that romance could spring up there. And how insane to me that if you're going to modernize it, all you do is you add technology. Because you could have <laughs> modernized it by, A, he doesn't put her out of business, or B, the woman is the fucking CEO. Wow. Like, there's there's two different ways. Sure. Already. Absolutely. I feel bad trashing a dead woman, but you know, <laughs> here we are. Here we are. Here we are. Um, and I think you're right to do it. So with my apologies to her. <laughs> <laughs> and this is an interesting starting point to me because it obviously is becoming only more and more timely as physical third spaces vanish, especially ones that don't demand money from you, people do spend a lot of time on the internet in chat rooms and stuff because it's a free place to hang out. Do you wait? Do you just hang out in chat rooms? Not not like chat rooms insofar as like I go to a specific website for it, but like Discord, I would consider to be a pretty similar sort of thing, or like Slack channels with friends. Uh, so I would say yes that I hang out in chat rooms. See, I got to get into this. I haven't done any of that. I, I, I was like terrified of AIM when it first came out. Like I, yeah. felt like I was like Carrie Bradshaw. I was like, can they see me? <laughs> so all I do is tweet. <laughs> hey, I, you know what? I, it, it is kind of overwhelming. And I feel like the ones that I've had the best time in, I got in while they were very, very small. And so it's just like truly just talking to like a handful of people for a while. So yeah. But despite that emphasis, Nora actually wanted to be on the computers as little as possible, especially at the beginning, so people didn't feel trapped, like they were just going to be sitting there watching people on the computer the whole movie, <laughs> which I was like, all right, that's a reasonable fear, uh, even though it is such a, a huge thing for, for the sort of whole conceit of the movie. They are on computers, an awfully shocking little amount, I feel like. Yeah, and it's literally just email. Mm-hmm. Well, and I guess I am. Well, one time, yeah, they finally yes. break through the barrier. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> One of the biggest changes of the update was changing from a leather goods store to a bookstore. This was contributed by Sister Delia. It was huge, not only because Nora actually knows books in a way that she certainly did not about leather goods, but also helps to break away from the one-set staging of the original play. And does, I mean, as you sort of uh, talked about or, or alluded to, it does entrench the differences between them more than just a personality issue, as he is this mega corporation guy and she owns this small independent bookstore. Yeah, I mean, he is essentially like a David Zaslav or like mm -hmm. a, Je a Jeff Bezos, like, which to me made it even funnier that we're doing it now. I was like, oh, these men are truly <laughs> villains. Like, yeah. they were then, but we didn't recognize them. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> And the writing as the writing letters aspect does spill over into books since they're about the written words. So it was it was a natural fit. I think that that is a good update of like or like it has the bones of a good update f to change it to a bookstore. That aspect, yes, I'm, I'm I will go with that. Yeah. You concede that point shortly. <laughs> I concede that, yeah. <laughs> Our stars are Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks as Kathleen and Joe. They had worked together on Joe vs. the Volcano, and then together again with Nora on, Sleep on Sleepless in Seattle. They're reunited here. People were really pushing this on-screen couple very hard. In the special features, there was a 30-minute show that there was like, historians were like, here are the couples with the most chemistry on screen of all time, culminating in Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. And I was like, okay, let's, let's calm it down a little bit here. <laughs> And that's a really specific chemistry because mm -hmm. I feel like in both these movies, the chemistry is essentially that there isn't much like they're like in Sleepless in Seattle. They don't get together until the last one minute. Spoiler alert. Sorry everybody, <laughs> of the movie. But like they're both kind of asexual in these movies. Right. Like I feel like they're both like a little bit dowdy and like they say wholesome things. Yeah. In but like there's not sexual tension. For sure. For sure. I picked up on. No, I'm in, I'm in total agreement. They are our stars, but a gaggle of, uh, I think, pretty delightful performances from the side characters, uh, including Steve Zahn, Gene Stapleton, Heather Burns, and the perpetually scene-stealing Parker Posey, do give this a bit of a boost. Some of these exterior characters are, are pretty fun. Yeah, for sure. The movie had a budget of $65 million, and it was a huge hit, grossed $250 million worldwide. People loved it. Yeah, especially for a horror movie. I mean, wow. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> horror movies today still don't get $65 million. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
All right, so let's get into the actual movie. It is kind of a fun intro as this Warner Brothers logo becomes a desktop icon. Then we dive into the computer where New York City slowly renders in increasing detail. And we tour it to the sounds of Harry Nilsson's The Puppy Song. I will say I do like the soundtrack quite a bit, even though it is a little saccharine. And second, the intro took longer to do than the entire rest of the movie. Oh, that's really funny. The intro did make me laugh only from watching it from a horror perspective. Because immediately <laughs> I was like, wait, this actually does look like a horror movie. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> they're <laughs> zooming in on the, the, the killer's first strike. <laughs> yeah, although it makes it seem like the computer is going to be the bad guy. But, you know, sure, we, sure. we don't know yet that the patriarchy is the bad guy. Yeah, instead it is simply his tool. <laughs> yeah. Greg Kinnear's Frank wakes up Meg Ryan's Kathleen Kelly in her lovely New York home to bemoan the decline of Western civilization thanks to everybody wanting to play solitaire on their computers instead of working. These fucking types of guy, man. <laughs> Didn't spring out of nowhere. His warnings that you, quote, think this machine is your friend, but it's not, set him pretty fairly at odds with Meg Ryan logging onto America Online in order to fall in love. This is a fissure in their relationship from the word go that the devious Joe Fox will exploit. They met in an over 30 chat room, and in today's email, he talks about his dog Brinkley played with a plum by Clovis and Bonnie. They're the stand-in dogs. <laughs> I also do like the transition to his apartment as she reads, where he reflects the same thing that she did, waiting for his girlfriend, Parker Posey's Patricia, to leave and then logging on. Although they both sneak around their own apartments in a strange way. For sure. Well, yeah. I mean, I was like, you're edging along a wall with your back to it, <laughs> and you've heard the person leave. Like, at that point, I wanted to be like, just fall, just meet. Like, you're That's gross. the thing. What this are you is, doing? This is the thing. They're like, <laughs> the fact that they're so nervous about this. Like, how many times have their partners been like, I fucking caught you. I came back. I doubled back and found you on the computer. It's like, oh, my God. What is this relationship that they have? And I know. And setting up immediately, too, that they both feel guilty about it. It's like, so we're, we open on two cheaters. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it is. I'm really leaning towards horror. I mean, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, I was correct. You were correct. Yeah. Even uh, <laughs> Kathleen almost immediately is like, oh, yeah, I do consider this to be an emotional affair. It's like, yeah. 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 As they head out for the day, it turns out they're right down the block from each other and their paths are so similar that she's constantly just a few steps ahead of him, which, first of all, does allow for a slick focus transition. But all, but more importantly, is kind of terrifying when you consider so what's creepy. about to happen. <laughs> Yes, and they keep putting him in, like, the most, like, muddy colors. Like, all his suits are, like, greenish-brown. Like, like trying to get in, like, like he's a slime in the background. That's right. Yeah. He's camouflaged, watching Ugh. her from among the trees. <laughs> <laughs> he's opening up another in a chain of Fox Book superstores, and she runs the shop around the corner, which is a reference to the movie this was inspired by, and a tiny little shop full of kids' books and toys. Both of these two discuss their love lives with coworkers, which seem to be stagnant, I'll say. And Kathleen reveals that, like I said, she does consider this to be an emotional affair, that despite not talking about anything personal, the minutiae of books and music and loving New York have made this confusing. <laughs> Truly unique to that they both love New York. She couldn't find anyone else. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, no one else in the city that would feel that way. That's exactly right. The rest of their coworkers straggle in. I truly was kind of agog to see this store is supporting four employees on the same shift until the events on that unfold. Like I know, like in New York, <laughs> this was really, I mean, even if you take out the like, what it what, a Barnes and Noble or whatever it's supposed to be, mm -hmm. there had to have been other competing bookstores. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, they make it seem like she's the only way you can get kids books <laughs> from 20 miles around. Right. <laughs> and meanwhile, at his job, Joe and his corporate bosses, a.k.a. dad and grandpa, gloat about another independent bookstore going out of business and the ways they can appeal to the West Side liberals. <laughs> oh, my God. I know. <laughs> it, did, really... it did make me go like, oh, my God, this is how Amazon started. Like, this is truly how it started. It is. And it also, it was like kind of funny to me how explicitly evil they are in this meeting. <laughs> where they're explicitly like... evil, but probably also like very accurate. Like, <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Oh, absolutely. No doubt in yeah. my mind. His grandpa here reveals that he had a correspondence crush as well, which will prove yeah. to be very disgusting as the so truth comes out. Disgusting. <laughs> Whenever you want to talk about the uh, the male history of that family and the grooming that seems to have taken place. <laughs> Woof. Uh, yeah. Woof. Yeah. Wow. Uh, the exchange of emails continues. Joe is drinking a Heineken and he's bored with Pride and Prejudice. So, yeah, he's a real man. All right. <laughs> Ugh, I hated that. <laughs> like, they show him rolling his eyes at something she loves, and this is the setup for them? Right. 
having a good relationship? A slight divergence to say, I read Pride and Prejudice since it's so heavily emphasized. I figured, why not now take this opportunity? You read it after you watched the movie? That's right. Whoa, cool. First of all, it was wonderful. Yeah, it's great. But then also, obviously, I'm sitting here going, hmm, I wonder if she feels that it's thematically relevant. And spoiler alert for a book from 1813, we're clearly supposed to see old Joe here as Mr. Darcy. But ultimately, Jane and Bingley do get together while he successfully puts Kathleen out of business. So I'm not really sold on this comparison. And the whole thing in Pride and Prejudice is that he is like, he cannot help himself from doing the right thing. Like, yes, he has a temper and he, is, he can be shitty, but he like has to tell the truth. Yeah. Uh, that's not a problem for Tom Hanks' character. <laughs> He's a motherfucking sociopathic liar throughout That's right. most of the movie. Like, That's in, like right. starting with starting with when he figures out who she is. Yeah. Oh, it's even before psychotic. that. Psychotic. Say his name, last name is Fox. It's psychotic. Yeah. So Zahn notices the sign announcing the new bookstore, and the gang discusses it. Kathleen keeps her chin up. She says it'll highlight our service and knowledge, and might even be good for them, which is optimistic. <laughs> yeah, she seemed a little bit dumb there. <laughs> You might even say that she's a lone reed waving boldly in the corrupt sands of commerce, uh, which is what Frank says. <laughs> this makes her feel small, though, and she says, shouldn't books remind her of her experiences rather than life reminding her of things she's read? She doesn't feel like Frank is listening, though, and this is sort of what draws her to NY125, which is Joe, uh, and she's shop girl. Ugh, and the fact that he's an NY. Like, he's <laughs> like, what's my identity? Well, I live in New York. <laughs> And it's his address. He's like, like, imagine if my if my Twitter was like LA five through five. <laughs> like what? That's my identity. My city. A huge wow. city. Um yeah, I don't little horror PHL. That's, oh, I will say that's not my personal one at least. That's that's for the show. So having Philly yeah, in the name. <laughs> you know, but that's also like the name of a show. Like right, if right. you, George, were like, Yeah, I'll just be PA something. <laughs> that's also true. Yeah, it's the whole whole ass state. <laughs> So he's on his boat when he's approached by uh, Gillian, his uh, stepmother, who tries to smooch him on the lips. And Maureen, a mid-divorce nanny with the wise advice not to marry a man who lies, something that, as you've pointed out, Kathleen does not hear this advice or take it. Uh, yeah. They drop off Matt and Annabelle, his much younger aunt and brother, from his grandfather and father, respectively. Yeah, it's repulsive. It is, it is. Although uh, these children do seem to be quite delightful. They have a lovely day at the fair. They win a fish. The kids are cute. The kids (laughs) are cute, but their parents are a generation apart. Like Mm -hmm. the idea is that the men in this family just keep birthing. Well, they don't birth them. Right. They They do the easy part. (laughs) 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 On the way home, they notice it's storybook lady time at the shop around the corner. Which, Storybook Lady is the funniest name to me. So just like, uh, we'll come back to this later. And then they yeah, never came they back never to came it. they never came back. Yeah. <laughs> it is, of course, Kathleen, who's reading Roald Dahl's Boy, one of Nora's favorite books. And the store is enrapturing to Annabelle. And, of course, over on the side, Joe is scoffing at the price of an early edition Swiss Family Robinson. He has no idea of the value of, of a real <laughs> book. <laughs> Yeah, he's a real eye roller. It's not an attractive quality. No, it's just so smarmy all the time. Like, yeah, uh. like no matter what he would be rolling his eyes at, I'm like, that's I, even if I agreed with you, I don't like your style. It's right. already annoying. How he works in books? How is he like? Oh, I can't believe this is an expensive copy of the Swiss Family Robinson. Like, I know. Although, does he work in books or does he just work in acquiring? I guess big, that's true. Yeah, I guess that's true. It's it's like saying three generations like, down, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think they just acquire. Mm. Gross. <laughs> Kathleen is very pleasant, though, so Joe introduces himself. He promises to come back while covering up the truth of his family being the foxes. Yeah, and even lies, I think, at that point. Doesn't he say, like, your mother was enchanting? Oh, and yeah, right. Like, how did you know that? And then he's like, well, I just saw her picture back behind you. <laughs> I haven't heard about her before. That's right. Yes. Just lies from the be- like, And those lies are for no reason. That's right. Yeah, he puts he puts it together that the, her mother was the woman that his grandfather was talking about. How right. he had Let's this just correspondence. Say that. Yeah. Like, wouldn't that be a great thing to say? Like, 
I'm like, why didn't you just go with that? Yeah. That would have been like, oh my God, my my grandfather was just telling me the story. That's the way to make that connection, you sure. fucking idiot. Yeah, not, not psychotically go, uh, lie. I was just looking at a photo of her. <laughs> I could tell. I could actually tell from that photo. <laughs> from one black and white photo, yeah. yeah. She does discuss something that I do really like here about the importance of childhood reading and the way that they can become part of your identity. Yes, this is like my favorite line in yeah. the movie. Yeah. We've seen sort of the negative impact that that can have with Harry Potter being something that people refuse to stop contributing to despite the views of the author, but it can it can be a positive thing as well. It can help shape you into an into like a positive person. I I would say that for me, the Phantom Tollbooth really mm. helped to shape a lot of my humor, fascination with wordplay kind of stuff. The art in yeah. it, Jules Pfeiffer, amazing, amazing stuff. Yeah, I for me, it's Arnold LaBelle's books, like Frog and Toad and oh, Owl at Home. Yeah. Like those characters, like I, I tr- live in my heart. And those, co- like the, his colors. Oh, and also uh, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, that Ooh. book. Oh, yeah. Not the fucking Pixar movie. <laughs> The book is so beautiful. I still, I own it now and like read it constantly. I, I just think it's gorgeous. Yeah. And, and yeah, it does stick with you, you know, as adults. I, I got an annotated version of, of uh, the Phantom Tollbooth so that I could flip through and see what they had to say about it. And it, it, it can be something that can be a very uh, warm and positive thing for people. So can I ask too, were you a Harry Potter fan before the J.K. Rowling I was, stuff? I was. Uh, yeah. Same. And, uh, and you know, it was the kind of thing where it was like, it sucks to have to like give this up, but it is for me tainted in a way that it, it's it, so tainted. I, I, I even tried the other day. Cause I was like, well, whatever I have the movies. It's not like I'm giving her money. And I started one and I was like, Oh yeah, it's, it's gone. The yeah. magic. is <laughs> <laughs> that's, gone. That's exactly right. Yeah. Finally, Fox and Sons books does open up 35% off bestsellers. Clearly a Barnes and Nobles type deal, although it is kind of ironic that this went through the same thing with Amazon and that hadn't quite been on the horizon yet when this was there. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But ahead of its time. Yep, exactly. Also, the camera lingers on the book, Are You Your Mother?, which is perhaps another reference to Kathleen's mother and the uh, sort of an underplayed horror of if she can continue the legacy that was sort of thrust upon her with this store. Difficult thing to live in your mother's shadow. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even pick up on that, really. She seemed so positive about her mom. Even if you do love her and, and have a, a great relationship with her that, like, you know, she grew up in this store. So who know, who knows if left to her own devices, what she might have, have done. I, I, right. It's just, uh, and she even does. And you're, like you said, she does say that thing about, like, shouldn't books remind me of my life and not the opposite? And so she is saying she has a small life. Yeah. But I still will not fucking give him credit for, like, <laughs> forcing her into the real world. Like, no. she could have just sold the shop. That's right. Her own That's right. Uh, unfortunately, it might have gone out of business no matter what. <laughs> yeah, probably. You know. <laughs> the shop around the corner did 12,000 less in sales year over year this week. But Kathleen is sure it's just a novelty. Everything will be fine. She's also hanging up twinkle lights as we near the holiday season. Uh, everything's better with twinkle lights, she says. She's not wrong. <laughs> she and Frank go to a party, and who should be there but Joe Fox? And they run into each other at the bar, but he brushes her off, and she's like, what the fuck? Until someone is like, I can't believe you were talking to Joe Fox. Now she's double pissed, and he's too busy referencing the Godfather to realize it at first. Ugh. I will say Nora Ephron nailed it with the men referencing the Godfather. <laughs> Just a true nightmare. <laughs> it's so funny. One one of the reviewers, like uh, when she was making the press rounds after, was like, "So, do you actually like the Godfather?" And she was like, "I'm afraid it's one of my favorites." <laughs> oh God, Nora, Nora. I mean, I guess that's how she had the quote ready to go. But yeah. Woof. Well, her husband wrote the Goodfellas book, I believe. So, oh, so that's his whole genre. Yeah. She's probably had to sit through those movies yeah. a shit ton of times. <laughs> every Christmas, she said. Every Christmas they watch oh, it. <laughs> God, what a Christmas choice. <laughs> What's your Christmas movie's choice? Oh, man. You know, I, I really am just like a classic animated Grinch kind of guy. I, I'm more into mm-hmm. like the TV specials than to having like an actual movie for Christmas. Gotcha. So a lot of the like Peanuts stuff, a lot of... Frosty, Rudolph, the claymation stuff. That really Were you into Emmett, Emmett Otter? Oh, yes. M- look, anything yeah, Muppets I feel like right up be my a- alley. Okay. <laughs> I feel like it's very TV special. Yeah. 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 Emmett Otter is great. A lot of great songs in there. Jug Band. Who says oh, no? So sweet. Yeah. <laughs> he scoops up a bunch of caviar from a dish, and she says, hey, that's a garnish, not for selfishly eating. And he spitefully scoops up a bunch more. And you might be wondering... Why do they say the word garnish so much in this scene? And <laughs> it's because Nora said, I find the word garnish hilarious. 
that's all. Oh, boy. I mean, and honestly, it it is funny the first time, but you don't have to make the joke more than once in that case, I don't think. She accuses him of spying, and he basically says she's so inconsequential that to suggest he'd even need to spy on them to put her out of business is absurd. And the quote he says is, I have in my possession the super duper secret printout of the sales figures of a bookstore so inconsequential yet full of its own virtue that I was immediately compelled to rush right over there. This is so bad that Meg Ryan will literally refer to it later as belittling my existence. And she's correct. She's correct. Absolutely. Yes. And this, I don't want to jump ahead, but like this gets into how she's like, I feel like she goes home and emails him and she's not knowing it's him. Right. And it's like, I, I just wish that when I was in these situations, like the, the right comeback would come to me and it never comes to me. But honestly, when it finally does, she just tells him very true things. He says these like horribly condescending things and she literally just spells out like, here's who you are as a human, yeah. what you're doing to me. And then he's like, looks hurt. And then she's like, oh, I feel terrible. <laughs> Simply saying what you are. Yeah, they're really not the same. <laughs> they're really not. Not at all. Not at all. Frank sidles up and he starts to join the front with Kathleen. But then suddenly Patricia... Joe's girlfriend is there and gushing over Frank's latest column, which disarms him effectively. It's so funny. Just leaves Joe and Kathleen awkwardly standing there next to them. That whole scene stole the whole movie. Parker Posey, I mean, incredible. my award. She's put her in any movie. She makes it a thousand times better. Yeah, follow that lady. That's that's the movie it should have been about. (laughs) She also wanted to give Kathleen a job. That's right. And he got in the way of that. That's right. Oh, she won't want your pity job. It's like a high-powered yeah, like, editor. Uh, yeah, she might want to be a fucking editor. She might. Who cares why she got it? That's a yeah. great job. Yeah. <laughs> that night, as Joe and Patricia settle into bed, she's continuing to rave about Frank's pseudo-intellectualism. But Joe, on the other hand, can't sleep, so he calms his nerves with an email to his pen pal. <laughs> he asks, do you ever feel like you've become the worst version of yourself? And then follows it up with a request to meet, and she makes a face and closes the computer. Good. Trust that instinct, Kathleen. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh, boy, I relate to that, like, having that instinct and later being like, well, I don't know, maybe I was wrong. (laughs) No, run! You gotta trust it, you gotta. You're always right. (laughs) And now that they know each other, Joe and Kathleen see each other all over. Uh, They're constantly avoiding each other when they notice. It is a fun montage for me. I always like a good montage, and this uh, hits the beats. But these efforts lead to her not noticing the cash-only sign at the line she's on at the grocery store. And this crowd behind her is about to flip out when she asks the cashier to make an exception. And the cashier is Bailey from Grey's Anatomy. Or from, right? Is that the show? I I believe you. I don't know, but I I was just shocked. I was like, whoa! (laughs) (laughs) She's big time now. There you go. Joe arrives to quote-unquote save the day. He slimily sidles up, absolutely dripping with condescension. Zip, zip, he says to Rose the cashier. Which charms her. Zip, zip. Un- zip, I- zip. It's like chop, chop. It's like, what the, f- how did you, and then she smiles like, oh, okay, for you, <laughs> condescending man. Just horrifying, like the, the internalized misogyny going on, horrifying. This scene is so when, when I was watching it, I was like, all right, I can kind of see how this is coming together as a horror movie. And then this really just was the nail in the coffin for me. When, when I was like, this is clearly framed as like a positive interaction. And it is the grossest treatment of someone in the service industry I have maybe seen committed to film in the last like 20, not 20, like uh, in 2020s. Like it's, it's so insane. It's. I mean, I just can't, I can't get over it. I, it was truly the moment where I said, okay, yes, this is a horror movie for sure. Well, and the fact that like, you would think that if he were a good guy, he'd step in, be kind to the cashier and also like make everyone see that like, hey, we all forget that we're in the wrong line. Like no big deal. Right. But instead he's like, this idiot, <laughs> like I'll be the hero who helps this, this fucking annoying woman. I'm not going to get on her side. I'm going to, I'm going to step in yeah. and save the day. But he just shits on everybody. Oh, yeah. Everyone in the line gets caught up in the crossfire. It's it's a nightmare. It's a really mean market <laughs> in general. For sure, for sure. He uses his zinger skills that he lamented in the email to balance her lamented getting tongue-tied in the heat of the moment. And I guess, yeah, that's why she finds this charming. Although, uh, whatever you say, Kathleen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
time goes on and it's a melancholy Christmas. We see a sign in the window of Fox Books that the author who popped in earlier is doing a signing at Fox Books coming up, which Nora described as being a total hooker, which (laughs) did make me laugh. When suddenly Joe breaks past the email barrier to instant messenger, offering to give her some advice. Messages instantly. The future is now. Also, what he says, uh, did I, I feel like I did actually take notes. What What did he say? Oh, he wrote, I'm a brilliant businessman. I can give you advice. <laughs> oh, can you God. imagine saying that to somebody? Like, you, like maybe you <laughs> say like, oh, I'm actually, I don't know if we haven't talked about personal stuff, but I'm in business. Could I help you? No. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm a brilliant <laughs> business, bri- businessman. <laughs> hey, that would have been better because then it would have humanized him a little bit. <laughs> they just made him so horrible. Like, yeah. 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 Everything he says, you go, how is this a good thing? How is this oh. being framed as positive here? <laughs> So smarmy. And uh, she refuses to give any specifics, but does say her business is in trouble. And he says, you got to go to the mattresses. A second Godfather reference she doesn't get. And she says, what is it with men and the Godfather? It's the sum of all wisdom, he retorts. It's not business, it's personal. And of course, this is ironic that he's giving her advice to go to war with himself. Right. But she accepts this advice and she recruits Frank to write an article about the shop. And it seems to be working. That press leads to more press, leads to more, and there's literally a protest of children outside the Fox and Sons. They do make sure to throw a little dirt on Frank here, too. He's fame-hungry and a phony, considering how excited he was to record himself shit-talking VCRs while he slobbered over the host of the show. So, truly, she is surrounded on all ends here. <laughs> yeah, it, truly. I, Frank does make me laugh, though, I have to say. It. He's, he's, <laughs> he's a, He at least has character. some some charm. I, I mean, he is funny, I think, uh, in a way And that, he, like, comes clean. He's yeah. actually honest. Like, yeah. he goes... Yeah, I don't love you, and I and I am into somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> I have to give it to him. Even in that moment where he's like, what, what? No, and she's like, look at you. And he goes, oh, yeah, actually, you're right. I am kind of being creepy in this totally, moment. Totally. He, like, he doesn't gaslight her, at yeah. least. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Unfortunately, none of the publicity is making a difference in sales, which is kind of a really grim commentary on like the performativity of people saying the right thing but not putting it into action. And just like all of this meant nothing. And you just go, whoa. Yeah, I wish there were things today we could point to that are like that, but. (laughs) Crazy that there are none. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) She finally, in desperation, asks to meet Joe for his advice, and he jumps at the chance. Then on the way there, his true colors truly start to come through, and he's panicking. What if she's ugly? What if I hate her voice? All of this connection wasted, he says, which is. (laughs) It's so gross. So it's gross. So, it's so gross. And yeah, he's like, he's almost humping this like fence outside the <laughs> restaurant being like, I knew she'd be good. <laughs> yeah. It's so. And meanwhile, she was the one. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'm jumping at Keep going. Keep going. Okay. Yeah. So he and Kevin get there. They realize it's Kathleen. That's even worse. So his initial plan is to bail and let her sit there alone all night defending and the he, chair sadly. <laughs> But he kind of does mm-hmm. because he shows back up as as like what she thinks is someone else. That's right. So she thinks she's been fully ditched. It's like the shittiest fucking move. That's right. Yeah. He enters after all. He's coy about the situation in that rather than being like, wow, how crazy is this that we've been talking all this time? He instead insults the entire setup, including Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> yes. This is when it, this is truly when it when it becomes the height of. Of gaslighting, where mm-hmm. he's like, I will play one thing with you where I'm so charmed by the things you're doing, and then I'll be the friend who's like, ew, who would be into that? That's so creepy. <laughs> yeah. What's wrong with this guy? Making her question him. Yeah, exactly. He. Oh, my God. It's, it's, it's the scariest thing. This is why I'm terrified of the apps. <laughs> <laughs> I've never done I get it. I absolutely get it. <laughs> Everything is a joke to you, isn't it? She asks, literally begging him to leave. But he doesn't, so she has a breakthrough in terms of being able to poetically insult someone to their face. It's great. She's right to dress him down, and she's right about her mother's store being memorable and special compared to the empty suit across the table. But I don't think she even insults him. More accurate assessment of uh, him being bullshit and an Who empty suit. Who he is. Yeah. Yeah. And he is sitting there fully lying to her face and then having the gall to act upset right. that she said that. <laughs> Oh my god that is it, that is honestly kind of funny that he is like has that temerity to be like how can you say this to me <laughs> yeah how can you say it to me the liar sitting across from you yeah. uh, oh my god there is a lot of homage to the shop around the corner here as well as an interesting filmic device where ordinarily you're not supposed 
quote unquote, to cross the 180 degree line with the camera. But since this is a longer scene, they leverage the abrupt movement of Tom standing up to sit with her so that they can swing around to look at the windows and street instead of the back of the restaurant. And instead of feeling like you're kind of lost, it just feels like a new space. It was really interesting from like just a straight up film technique perspective. Wow. Good, up, good observation. There we go. Well, I, I Nora <laughs> herself pointed it out. So good, oh, good okay, work to okay. her. Okay. I thought this was uh, all your observation. I was very impressed. I was like, <laughs> oh my God. I, like, that's DP skills. She did the work. <laughs> <laughs> the barrage of insight, though, does finally convince him to leave as he holds back tears. <laughs> and she oh tosses God. the rose in the trash <laughs> as she leaves, too. And there's no email when she gets back. So the next morning, she fantasizes about all the horrific accidents that could have prevented this guy from showing up. And it ultimately builds to realizing he must have been the rooftop killer that was arrested two blocks from the cafe. <laughs> Apparently, there was a pretty big subplot about this at one point because it really happened in Nora's building, which is crazy, and I wish that that stayed in. Oh my God, that's terrifying. And it's also like... It's just an interesting thing to put in there when she is, in fact, being snowed by someone equally psychotic. Yeah. Okay, maybe not equally. <laughs> He's not actually murdering people. But like, Yet. by it's like two different kinds of psychos. So mm-hmm. I sort of feel like, yeah, you almost have to take that out because otherwise you have two fucking villains. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> we already have like, we've got Joe Fox, we've got capitalism, and we've got the patriarchy. We can't afford a rooftop killer. That's right. <laughs> it's too many. <laughs> many cooks in the killing kitchen that's that's why it has to end with the rooftop killer killing joe fox oh that would have been great <laughs> that's how that and that's how that should have ended and it becomes some kind of like scandal and the corporation loses the money and she gets to open a bookstore for all kinds of books that's exactly right we fixed it we fixed the movie <laughs> <laughs> um there are some good rule of threes he stood you up moments here And she emails him being like, it sucks that you didn't show up. And this rapport has meant a lot to me. So I hope you had a good reason. Anyway, it worked out okay because I roasted the shit out of that asshole Joe Fox. (laughs) (laughs) And he can't resist emailing her back. And it's the worst apology of all time. I'm sorry for what happened that you found yourself in a situation that caused you additional pain. So gross. It, It boggles the mind. It's like... A form letter for the for like the opposite of what you want to do. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and it is just the scariest behavior. Like this is, I really watch it and I get like the heebie-jeebies, just so creeped out that like a man. I think maybe especially since it's Tom Hanks, like you take America's Sweetheart and mm. you go, yeah. If you are known as being a nice guy, you can get away with fucking anything because it's terrifying behavior. It is. It really is. Kathleen is going to close the store. It's here that her elderly employee, Birdie, reveals that she's both very rich from buying Intel stock early and also once had a torrid romance with fascist dictator of Spain, Generalissimo Franco. So (laughs) a rich inner life for Birdie. Yeah, really. I wanted more Birdie, too. A lot of fun women in this movie, and they're not Kathleen. Yeah, you get these glimpses of all the side characters really leading interesting and fulfilling lives. I do feel like that was sort of a thing of the 90s. Like the stars were generally pretty vanilla mm-hmm. and then you'd have these like these kooky side characters. And I feel like now I'm in a, in a great way. I feel like we're moving into shows that are actually about the kooky character that oh, you yeah. would be interested in. But like that's taken so long. Definitely, definitely. Kathleen tells Frank about this and he's baffled and he says, I could never be with someone who didn't take politics as seriously. So Kathleen gets his ass by telling him she didn't vote. Yeah. I I was like, oh, this is very dated. In the 90s, you could say I didn't vote. And it's just kind of like, I'm not Damn, she's a cool rebel. I'm so gross. Although she did. I do like, though, that they clarified. She was like, I didn't vote in the last, and it was like a small election. Mm -hmm. Like, I think if they'd made her not vote in like a bigger election, we would have been like, oh. (laughs) Even then, even then, people would have been like, come on, you got to vote. Get the vote out. I also love that they play the let's all go to the lobby interstitial, which is something that I have a real fondness for. Uh, oh, I love talking food. I really do. I I just drew a talking pizza. There you go. This is, uh, Frank is like, oh, we need quiet when we hear the hot dog sing. He's yeah, very, being do. facetious, fucking, but yes. But we fucking do. <laughs> yes. I remember I turned around once when I was like 15 and like shushed the men behind me in a theater and they were like, it's the preview. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm sorry. Do you think what you're saying is smarter than the movies that we're going to, that they're previewing? <laughs> 
Oh, I would love to hear what you have to say. I was like a really bitchy team, but I truly was just like, you're a fucking twat. And I do want to see this dialogue that they paid millions of dollars to film. That's exactly it. It's like, well, I am still trying to listen to the preview. Yes. <laughs> You, your, and your commentary is not better than his dialogue. That's I can right. Tell you that. That's absolutely right. Kathleen walks out when Frank says that he forgives her for this not voting. And they go to dinner where they break up with each other. They're equally on terms of like, this isn't working out. I'm going to go with that host who was uh, on the show. And you can go with this other guy who you're having this emotional affair with. And it's such a fucking, like all... I feel like Meg Ryan always has amicable breakups. Like in Sleepless, <laughs> and Sleepless in Seattle too. She's like... Actually, I do have feelings for someone else, and then he, he and then he, Bill Pullman immediately is just like, "I don't want to be second. You go live your life." And like they break up in five seconds, and and, and he's fine with it. Well, that's Pullman for you, right? I mean, I know poor Pullman. He's really he's really never gotten like the credit he deserves. He never did. He never did. Orchestral Harry Nelson provides a somber tone as they liquidate their stock. Someone weeps reminiscing about the store in days gone by and the influence Anne of Green Gables had on them. And then someone else off screen suggests bombing Fox Books, which was very funny <laughs> ADR. <laughs> and she finally goes in to scope out Fox Books and she sees a nice clean store with tons of books and happy kids all over the floor. They talked in the commentary about her seeing that it's not so bad, which really reminds me of how people reminisce about Blockbuster now, where it's like, well... They got put out of business as well, but everyone forgets how brutal they were in dispatching mom and pop shops. <laughs> like, yeah, that blows my mind. I'm like, no, I'm at the age where like I remember all the like weird indie video stores and like we would not go to Blockbuster because it was dorky. Like our friends who went to Blockbuster, it was like, oh, do you also have like beef jerky and microwave popcorn? <laughs> Sorry to be such a bitch. <laughs> no, I, I think you're right. And, and they had like the bullshit edited versions that would get put out and everything yes. specifically for them. Very lame. Yeah. Boo to Blockbuster is what I say. Yeah. And didn't Blockbuster also have like, I feel like when you would rent from a video store, it would have like the poster of the movie on the like plastic thing. And when you would rent from Blockbuster, it, it just said Blockbuster. Blockbuster. Yeah. Ugh, branding. Ugh. Branding yeah. everywhere. <laughs> Her point is proven though, when she knows the exact book that a harried mother is looking for with vague descriptions and the underpaid college student working there is like, uh, how do you spell that author's name? And that worker was also somebody famous, and now I forget who. It was somebody big. I couldn't believe it. There you go. Anyway, Listener, go and, go and look for yourself. A fun Easter <laughs> Listener, egg Listener, go see who it was. <laughs> yeah. It was somebody great, and I forgot. <laughs> fun fact from the commentary is that those shoe books that they're talking about went back in print because of this movie. So there you go. How about oh, that? Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, she is helping indie books after all. Yeah. <laughs> Joe's girlfriend, Patricia, as you said, is going to offer her a job as a children's book editor. He doesn't think she's going to take the pity job, but Patricia does keep reminding him the only reason she needs a job is because of him. So Yeah, she actually was kind of a like a good guy. Like I feel like they kept trying, giving her like shitty lines to be like, remember, she's evil. But I was like, no, I think she's accurate. Yeah. Like, she's calling you out on being like, you're putting this woman out of business. You don't want me to offer her an amazing <laughs> job? Yeah, Tom <laughs> like, Hanks is like, Oh, you actually have to do shitty stuff at your job too. And she's like, "Yeah, I know it sucks. Like I but at least I like can reckon with that a little bit right. and like <laughs> make up for it where I can by offering this woman a job." Yeah, it, that blew my mind. Yeah. The elevator they're in gets stuck. And it's so funny to me when this operator just hits every single button. <laughs> <laughs> and then he suggests they all fix it by jumping. And apparently this And they do it. That's right. Which I guess when you're I in that never. resort, and I, I would if if I were trapped in an elevator and somebody went, let's all jump, I, the level of rage I would hit so high and making sure that I was the leader at that point where uh -huh. I'd be like, no one fucking follow what this person says. This is a psychotic person where we should not be in this elevator with them. Yeah. Can you imagine? No, it's crazy. Especially because in like right before that, someone is like, oh, I hope it doesn't fall. <laughs> yeah, I hope it doesn't plummet to the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, let's, let's encourage that let's by jumping jump. around. Yeah. Ugh. Horrible. Apparently, this really happened to Delia, and it went into the movie the next day. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and that dog is Nora's dog, Lucy. So that's the actual dog there. Oh, okay. They all think about what they're going to do if I ever get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> and Joe realizes he needs to break up with Patricia. Kathleen emails Joe in mourning about the store. Meanwhile, Joe's dad is joining him in living on the boat. He's now separated from the fiance who kept trying to put the Joes on move. Apparently, this time, she slept with the nanny, unlike his dad, who was usually the culprit. Aye, aye, aye. 
He realizes he's been in love with Kathleen this whole time, and he goes to her apartment with some flowers. Still lying, yes. though. <laughs> That's Still right. Still fucking lying. That's right. He, he Even though he realizes that it's her, that he loves her, he does not admit this to her and say, oh, I'm so sorry for everything I've done. She explicitly says, I don't want to see you, and also I have a terrible cold. She may be ill, but he's the sick fuck because he slips upstairs when someone else opening the door lets him in. Yeah, and he pushes his way in, makes her sit down, makes her tea, like, but it's all in this weird, like, do what daddy says. Mm -hmm. I'm still also lying to you about knowing that I'm both your pen pal and the your enemy. Right. Uh, absolutely. Again, he gets in. It's like the people who dress up as DWP and show up at your door right. to rob you. Yes. That's him. Yes. and, and Except he's robbing her heart. <laughs> so true. So true. <laughs> and she is terrified when he knocks at the door. Yes. But she's sick and he brought flowers that she likes. And so she kind of like is in a haze. And just is like, oh, yeah. okay. Like, I guess he bring in the flowers. Meg um, Ryan is very good at like playing that she has a cold. Like mm-hmm. in Harry Met Sally is one of the funnier Meg Ryan has a cold. Scene. She is good at it for sure. Yeah. Good a lot of cle- she loves a lot of Kleenex. Yeah. <laughs> and she does not she just throws it everywhere. I'm like, even at my most like deathly <laughs> ill, I can generally like quarantine my Kleenex yeah. in one pile. Yeah. <laughs> well, you bring a garbage over here or something. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to just throw it everywhere. <laughs> George, I should say, Steve Zahn started working at Fox and Sons. He betrayed them. He went to the other side. Oh, that's right, that's right. Revolutionizing their children's section and is the one who mentioned to Joe that she was sick. Which, the man, of course, is the one who revealed it to the other man. (laughs) That that, uh, she was weakened, and it was time for him to pounce. Oh, you're right. Oh, my God. He's like, the deer is in the clearing. That's right. The one man who worked at that store with her. (laughs) (laughs) She apologizes to Joe for how she acted at the coffee shop, which, unnecessary, but... Yes, thank you. He is a little stung by the undertone of her comment but acknowledges that much like Elizabeth Bennet of Pride and Prejudice, she can learn to not hate him, but can never forgive him. He tells her it was nothing personal, and she says, that just means it wasn't personal to you. It was personal to me and to a lot of people. And what's wrong with being personal anyway? Which, great fucking point, Great fucking point. So also, like, see, now this is where Nora Ephron's, like, her writing is quite brilliant, because that applies to so many things now, too. I Mm -hmm. feel like you have so many people who want to be like, uh, let me argue racism with you, person who actually experiences it, or like uh, so many men have wanted to argue sexism with me, and I'm like, yes, it would be very easy for you to argue something that is going to make me cry. <laughs> so we talk about it. Like, of course, it's personal to me. Sure, sure, absolutely. Yeah. He says he wants to be her friend, and they discuss how she's crazy about the guy she doesn't know from the internet, and they have a moment before he leaves where it sort of seems to be clicking for her, and she emails saying they should meet. But Joe, as NY125 says, I'm in the middle of a project that needs tweaking before they do. And in my head, I was like, oh, he's going to like fix up the shop and like make it all nice and new and, and oh, like be like, give it to you her. You still had hope. I did. I really did. <laughs> I really George, did. that's really sweet. <laughs> I was like, oh, she's the fucking project. Oh, okay. boy. That Well, that is the case. Yeah. And uh, in real life, he plants doubt in her mind, then gets offended from the other side of the email when she asks if he's married, which, first of all, is a reasonable question. And also, like... But he's the one who gets her to ask it. Yes, like it is, that's the more yeah, insane like, part. <laughs> it is so, this is where it gets so horrifying to me, where he's like, this guy sounds like a real creep. He could be anybody. You don't even know. Ask him if he's married. So she does. How fucking dare you ask me? Like, this guy, this guy is like, it is the scariest behavior. Yeah. It honestly made me go, I would take fucking Jason <laughs> over this because he's straightforward. He's like, I'm going to slowly kill you. That's right. That's all I want to do. I'm going to walk at you and kill you. That's exactly Admittedly, right. I can't watch those movies because I'm too scared. <laughs> but like, I feel like he was straightforward. I don't think he lied about anything. <laughs> I, look, I've seen them all. I've never seen Jason lie about anything. See, there you go. Jason's <laughs> a straight shooter. And that's all. That's all I'm saying. Most murderers are. That's right. That's right. Freddie, I would say, is the one lying killer because he'll fuck with you in your dreams. So. Oh, you're right. You're right. He's a master manipulator. <laughs> but yeah, so he, he's planning these doubts. He'll do stuff like uh, make fun of Joni Mitchell to her face in real life and then be like, oh, yeah, Joni's great. And get into it. I know. And even with, um, with Pride and Prejudice, she tells him she reads it every year, and then he, as Joe Fox, goes, "Ugh, you, of course you like that book. I yeah. bet you read it every year." Ugh. Like, like basically being like, "Oh, you're so transparent. This is a character type." As a, 
instead of being like yes. you fucking confided in me i'm using your vulnerability to make you feel like a piece of fucking oh shit. my god it is, it is wild <laughs> i know i'm making a big pitch i'm trying right now i'm trying to defend my choices as being a horror movie <laughs> I, I don't think i truly truly do not think that it is a stretch okay <laughs> he's just generally an asshole it culminates in joe making plans for lunch on saturday and then from the email making plans with her to meet at four in riverside park he does it he does the playing both sides stuff up to the last second saying yeah, so she oh. has no i'm just clarifying so she has lunch with joe but then four hours later or one uh, they they basically say we'll meet at lunchtime i was like what does that mean right uh but yeah but then a 4 p.m meeting with NY125. Exactly, yes. And he, he says, oh, uh, he waits until you're primed, and if only I wasn't Fox Books and you weren't the shop around the corner, how can you forgive him for standing you up and not me for putting you out of business, which does not feel equal to me. <laughs> oh my God. It doesn't, it doesn't feel equal, and it's just still so manipulative. Like, I keep being like, okay, the movie should have started here, mm -hmm. where where then she goes home and all starts like all the things he did start to like percolate, and she's like, oh my god, like and gets that chill of like, this person is so psychotic. Yeah, it ended where it should have began. <laughs> well, yeah, she leaves in tears. She cries again when Joe shows up. He he says, "Don't cry, shop girl," and she replies <laughs> that she wanted it to be him so badly before they smooch to Harry Nilsson singing Ugh. "Somewhere Over the Rainbow." The end. Uh, the end. <laughs> Who knows what happens? Can't po I cannot possibly see this being a good relationship. Well, no, because it also made me laugh because like we, ha he has to be a Republican, right? Mm -hmm. like, oh, for sure. So, so like if they did stay together and they were together now, he would, he would be like a Mark Rubio's fan. Like he mm -hmm. would be like a full on GOP guy, and she would be. Like, I don't know, probably yet another hetero woman who's had to contort herself into the shape of the man that she's married to. Right. But, like, how depressing. Yeah. It, yeah. It's extremely depressing. And thinking about their future is not something I like to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, no sequel because Nora died, so. <laughs> and now, Aaron, we've reached the part of the episode where we sum up why this isn't just a good horror movie, but is, in fact, the best <laughs> horror movie ever made. And I'm going to let you start. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll say this. One of my, I think one of my favorite horror movies is Jaws. And you never see the shark in Jaws. You only see the fin due to technical difficulties, which you don't know about when you first see it. But I think there's something so scary about never quite seeing the scary thing. And in this case, I do kind of think like the patriarchy and capitalism are the main villains mm -hmm. that are like the looming scary shadow. Like it's like the thing around the, ugh, it's the, it's not the shop around the corner. It's the thing around the corner. Wow. Feel. It's like the scary feeling the whole time where you're like, he says he's a nice guy. He's like rescuing her online and he's like doing this. But it's like this like oh, terrifying, like sickening. It's that thing of the first instinct when she like shut the computer. The whole time you're like, shut the computer instead of like, <laughs> don't go in the house. You're like, shut it. Yeah. Shut your laptop. Go away. I think there is something so terrifying about like never quite naming it. And she never even names it. Like she, he confuses her to the point that like she can't even see straight. Yeah, absolutely. To me, this is the best horror movie ever made because it just features the most underplayed psychotic performance of all time. Like the fact yeah. that it is framed as not what's happening is almost like gaslighting from the movie itself in a way. It's true. Like we're gaslighted at the same time that she is. Right. In the first apology, he literally says, you expected to see someone you trusted and you were confronted with the enemy. And in her mourning the store, she says, it feels like my mother has died all over yes. again. Yes. And he did that. He did that. He killed her mother again. Yes. There is zero reckoning for putting her out of business. He just, he gaslights her the whole time. My friend Rachel said this on Letterboxd. He's not the guy who helped her through it. He's the guy who put her through it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And as you said, there is a lot of uh, sort of capitalism being the villain here as well. You can read the whole thing as capitalism's megacorps, not just being content to merely devour our businesses. That's not enough. But indeed, our whole lives, a veracity that leads him to pursue her despite their incongruity and the awful stuff that any self-respecting human being would feel immeasurable shame over. The horror, for me, is in the comfort with which Tom Hanks manipulates her. Oh, yes. While the anonymity of the internet facilitates this, the oh. movie has become more and more timely. The level of access that we have to each other does have its pros, but it definitely has its cons. And I think that this movie is ahead of its time in that it demonstrates those cons 
without even really knowing it. Oh my God, George, you're giving me chills. That was so well said. That was so well said. And especially with it being Tom Hanks, it makes it even, because he's like the face of rom-com. So the whole time you're watching it going, okay, so when are we going to be on his side? Okay, so I should be liking, like you really do start (laughs) to feel truly insane. Exactly. And that's what makes this the best horror movie ever made. (laughs) Erin, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. This was an absolute blast. Please tell the people where they can find you, anything you want to direct them towards, all that jazz. Yeah, I'm at Girl with a Tail on Twitter and Instagram. And I have a, a podcast called College Town that I do with Seth Morris on Comedy Bang Bang World. And I live in LA. You can find me there. there you <laughs> LA <go>. 125. <laughs> <laughs> That's my aim. <laughs> I highly recommend you check out College Town. It's a lot of fun, a lot of great guests. And of course, you and Seth are very funny every single week. So oh, thank you. A really great show. As far as my plugs, people can find me. Uh, well, I'm not really. I'm shifting towards Instagram now that Twitter is imploding. Trash. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm still not really on Instagram that much, but I am trying. So if you want to follow me at Little Horror PHL, that's where I'm at over there. I'm also on Letterbox. And if you're really enjoying this show, which you can listen to all the back episodes of, there's a lot of great comedians on the show and and great artists, Branson Reese, Corinne Halbert, really cool people who've been on. And sometimes we do stuff that doesn't necessarily fit best horror movie ever made. On the bonus episodes, we, we do legal thrillers, which are like movie court sort of things where it'll be like, what's the best skeleton in movies? And, and the two litigants will have to argue their cases. And then I decide who indeed is the best skeleton in movies. Ooh, that's fun. Yeah, it's a good time. A lot of more casual stuff. John Mackey was just back to do a Choose Your Own Adventure book that we went through. And he was choosing his own adventure. And we went through Moon Quest. Ooh, that's fun. Yeah, it was a lot, of, a lot of good stuff happening over there. So check out the Patreon. It's only five bucks a month for all the bonus stuff. I purposely don't put any ads on the main feed just because I know how fucking annoying ads are. So the least you could do is throw me five bucks, right, gang? Hey, guys. <laughs> Wait, George, can I say what my favorite skeleton is? Yes, absolutely. Okay. In planes, trains, and automobiles, when they are accidentally driving the wrong way on the freeway, oh, and yeah. Steve Martin looks over and like sees him turn into like a skull. <laughs> great pick, really great pick. It's my favorite. My personal favorite. I'm gonna say Terminator Two when uh, oh, there's yeah. the nuclear explosion and it's terrifying. Oh, it is so terrifying. <laughs> they just screened that at vid- at Vidiots. Oh is it wow! Vidiot? Yeah, video. Yeah. Um, how do you say that? I would no, say Vidiots. Yeah, videots, videots, yeah. They're going to screen it again June 20th, and I want to go, because I think seeing that in the theater is going to be very fun. Got to be amazing. Da-gunk-gunk-gunk. Oh, my God. such a good movie. (laughs) It's such a good... Although it is... I say that I can't watch things that could actually happen, and, like, that's pretty much happening now. Around the corner. It's around the corner. (laughs) Get in while it's still a little unbelievable. Yeah, that's it. Everyone check out the Patreon. Go check out College Town. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thanks, George.